the engineering mindset would typically uh, you know value the elegance of the solution right so when given a tough problem our guys will sit and solve it and then they'll go to the client and say you know see how easy it is to solve it can be done so simply and that collapses the value of the damn solution because uh, you know you laid it out saying that uh, whereas our people you know from the core that's what the value they were saying you know look at the elegance of the solution it can be handled so easily and then we were selling effort to do it done because we were costing it based on what is the effort to do the shift that we need to do is that the value should be associated to the complexity of the problem not the elegance of the solution hi wherever you're listening to me i hope you're staying safe and doing well welcome to forbes india's the daily tech conversation i'm hariyarakli and today i bring you the next episode in my best of 2021 series in today's episode i go back to a conversation with rajesh gopinathan ceo and managing director at tata consultancy services this was an interview that my boss brian carvalho and i did with rajesh for our cover story on tcs in september 2021 rajesh one of the youngest ceos in the tata group did some impressive plain speaking about what needed to change within tcs and the efforts that were on to orchestrate that change here's more right so so rajesh uh, just one question which uh, interests me since i am from a slightly different era is that uh, i remember the time when tcs went public that was i think 2003 2004 right and i remember the hectic preparations that were underway you know uh, maybe a couple of years before that right and and you would have joined uh, tcs maybe in the early 2000s right so uh, i'm assuming maybe around that time when all this activity started so maybe you could just uh, you know take us through what was it like then and then once you you know actually ipoed and how things changed right and there was a lot of excitement i remember at tcs and there was a bit of apprehension also that you know how do we deal with investors how do we how we how do we deal with this animal called the media so right because earlier I don't think TCS had to have these quarterly calls with media and analysts and all that. So a lot of things changed, right? And of course, I think over the years, uh, you guys have figured out how to do all that. But but what was that transition like, right? From a, a kind of closely held company to you know having investors to answer to and investors to uh, whose expectations needed to be met and more than met actually. So Brian, um, first is from a first-hand experience perspective. Uh, yeah. i was pretty much rookie at the time of ipo so uh, i used to be based out of the san francisco bay area okay so my contribution to it was limited to when these guys came for a road show taking them to a good restaurant and making sure that they got their lunch <laughs> absolutely no other contribution to the whole process and no involvement but um, i came back to india in um, uh, jan 2005 and uh, that was our uh, so i think the financial guys will remember q4 uh, fi5 was a uh, was a very key quarter for tcs in its initial life as a listed company because till then we were obviously uh, in a private company we were focused on customers uh, you know different metrics and financial metrics was something that got compiled uh, at the back end Uh, rather than something that was driven and uh, we had a fairly rude wake up call uh, in that year ending where uh, analysts were all over us media was all over us 
and uh, that uh, was a turning point i don't think uh, after that we ever had a situation like that because it suddenly just came i think just got crystallized very very explicitly as to what this new game is about and uh, i remember uh, i mean the amount of uh, i think action that happened after that so in the starting 2005 and then into those next few years uh, all aspects of it uh, making sure that uh, certainty on numbers is established and uh, available uh, making sure that uh, our communication is much more structured and uh, even uh, very senior people all going through uh, media training uh, communication training uh, so fairly i would say for a company that was at that time 30 years old uh, we were like uh, you know taking baby steps in that uh, world so it was quite exciting to be part of it and then uh, I, around the 2000 uh, it took us a few years uh, i think uh, it took us two three years to and get on top of it um we used to uh, trade at a fair amount of discount uh, a lot of it because not because of the performance was not good uh, the certainty on it was not that high so we identified uh, each of these aspects that our aggregate performance is good but why is it that we are not getting each of the uh, things so it took 2 3 years but by the time 2008 2009 i think we had uh, turned it around uh, nicely and uh, since then been on a, a fairly good wicket so uh, it was a very key point of our uh, journey as a company the whole public markets perspective it benefited us also tremendously it uh, brought a level of uh, objectivity into many of the things that we were doing pcs has always been a very entrepreneurial company you know very very entrepreneurial so uh, very wide range of uh, interest and uh, fairly open ended canvas on what people were allowed to do we still continue to be that we are quite uh, you know quite broad based in our uh, approach and uh, there is uh, the culture is has been kept that way that uh, even down to the Uh, account manager the sales person or at here in the uh, at back end in delivery key delivery people and our r&d group etc uh, people have a very wide uh, option of what they choose to do how they choose to do it and uh, that culture we have continued but what we brought in was uh, much more traceability of what is going on and therefore uh, element of transparency and predictability into it so being able to uh, maintain that innovative culture uh, but bring in the uh, predictability that uh, allowed us to uh, you know bring a very objective view in front of the financial markets i think that helped us a lot in the way we scaled so if you look at the 2009 uh, what or now we refer to it as the great, uh, you know the financial crisis the gfc we were uh, we were already set up with both systems and processes as a very decentralized company so we were we used to be decentralized but now we had the systems and processes to support it without missing a beat on the on the quarterly cadence that we had and it pretty much gave a, a lot of freedom to our operating units uh, to go do what is right at the field level and still maintained uh, very high uh, financial uh, performance uh, levels 
and that was a uh, i mean uh, i think that was the test by fire of everything that we did in the last three years so uh, but i know long winded answer but uh, <laughs> those were really uh, crucial to the way we no 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 it's absolutely put things put things in perspective but it's tempting to draw parallels between the 2008-9 crisis and what happened uh, in the world in uh, 2020 right and and i think uh, you may be in not similar positions but i think you had got your act together by 2008 2009 and i think the pandemic also despite all the adversity actually gave you a i can maybe a next phase of digital transformation opportunity right so are there some parallels you can draw between the crisis and the pandemic um we were much better prepared obviously uh this time it was around uh, slightly different um, to some extent anticipated see the in the gfc time frame uh, the impact started on one industry and then it kind of cascaded through multiple industries over time and uh, technology was not seen as a major part of the uh, solution set so uh, if you look at uh, the, the approaches that were taken uh, the primary driver then was conserve cash because essentially the financial markets uh, seized up and uh, across industries uh, the approach was conserve cash and to conserve cash uh, first cut whatever can be cut uh, not necessarily what should be cut it is wherever the tap can be turned off first turn it off so that first you you know make sure that the bleeding stops and then uh, only at the second stage that uh, you know more uh, structured decision making was brought on to bear and uh, a lot of the uh, of the recovery path came through corporate restructuring uh, mnda consolidation uh, those led uh, ones so the role of tech was initially uh actually tech was on the chopping board first and then uh, uh, tech was in the on the integration side and later on into the 12 13 and all was tech was on the growth side whereas uh, as we went into this uh, the pandemic through a variety of reasons one a lot of evangelization and uh, better appreciation of the uh, power of technology was there but uh, the power of tech to ensure collaboration and ongoing operations was demonstrated very early right right in the first uh, uh, you know few weeks months itself it was very clear that companies that were on a certain uh, technology maturity were able to be up and running without missing a beat compared to others so technology was uh, never seen as a means to reduce cost into this pandemic it was always seen as the solution to the problem rather than a problem itself so the approach to tech was very different in the two gfcs there was also the benefit that uh, governments were better prepared so uh, they didn't allow uh, you know the uncertainty to translate into uh, cash flow problems see so the balance sheet support that came in ensured that uh, cash was never an issue so uh, actually the you know the economy was kept going at every industry level even if you take something as dramatic as airlines uh, still fair amount of uh, money was on available and uh, smaller ones uh, so the overall system was kept fluid and working so this crisis has been a very different uh, crisis and especially because of the way uh, technology's stance on this crisis has been 
and uh, we have participated also very nicely we participated well in the earlier one um, but here also uh, we were at the forefront because of uh, you know this was the point that we were always talking about actually none of the tech that has been brought to bear is new it was there it had proven itself what was missing was a business case to deliver it and uh, what uh, the pandemic did is it put a value to resilience right because uh, earlier uh, resilience itself didn't carry a value in a business case it was considered as a nice to have but uh, if your operations you know a competitor was up four weeks ahead of you then automatically the value of resilience started becoming a much more uh, quantified one so the business cases came through the propositions were already there and uh, whoever was ready was able to participate well which is what you see now the last few quarters uh, so just to continue on the theme of you know historical development uh, but closer to when when you were at the top job uh, rajesh i heard this anecdote from ngs about how a few years ago you all went to different parts of the world silicon valley israel china and other places you met uh, google microsoft important customers and you came away with uh, the thinking that ai would become very important uh, for you uh, what was what were some of the biggest takeaways of uh, this visit and this was shortly after you became ceo was it yeah it was uh, yeah, about a year after uh, me it was a very <clears throat> very useful visit for us we went together as a team and met with as you said the whole so we came with multiple ones ai was uh, one of the things we met with uh, startups we went into these uh, you know shared workplaces kind of uh, environments uh, so we it was a fairly broad based uh, uh, agenda uh, we came out with uh, multiple teams uh, one was um, of course the kind of investments and uh, you know the space that ai was occupying on ai actually uh, different parts of our organization came with uh, different uh, uh, we all kind of brought it together and uh, what we said is that it's not a it's not homogeneous and uh, we need to attack it in parts so uh, different approaches were uh, we crystallized that around it saying one is that starting with automation and uh, not going all the way to ai that the approach to automation itself needs to change and uh, we need to worry about because a lot of what was being discussed was concept and by the time it will come to the enterprise it will take a, a huge amount of effort so we said the here and now uh, opportunity and the solution is going to be automation but we need to do automation in a manner in which it will uh, hold together into and create a framework that will give it a path to go all the way to a cognitive solution which is ai driven so uh, the a very uh, narrow uh, close loop kind of approach to automation saying that is where the value will be but we need to have a framework that will allow it to uh, you know grow into a full fledged ai solution at an enterprise level that led to our uh, you know uh, i don't know whether you in the discussion with ngo that came about we created something known as mfdm a machine first uh, delivery model which is actually a philosophy and a framework to maximize the value of uh, here and now value of automation and to give it that uh, road map to uh, ai uh, and cognitive solutions in the future so that was a big 
you know, a very practical outcome that came. Another was that we approached it into four levels. Uh, we, you know, said at the basic level, uh, there's a whole new set of tool sets that are coming, and our uh, approach as you know, primarily a talent ecosystem and providing talent to our clients. The first thing that we need to do is to make sure that uh, we are going to scale up onto these tool sets. So, uh, you know, rather than think of it as just a philosophy, get down to the specifics of what the tool sets are and uh, make sure that uh, we, at a very minimum, you know, we should be ready to uh, uh, participate in it as a capacity based play. And we should have the capacity to, you know, to scale up on those tool sets. So that led to a significant amount of investments in training and partnerships to make sure that our uh, you know, approach to tool sets are right. And then there are three further levels on top, which goes from tool sets to frameworks to solutions to platforms. And uh, we had a different, you know, all four were approached differently. And uh, the second one, for example, we uh, ensure that in as much of our existing service delivery as possible, how do we design uh, automation and AI uh, to coexist with it? So, uh, you know, the tool set part of it is about it coexisting with our people. The second layer was to make sure that the solutions coexist with our existing delivery frameworks and evolve it. So we took a very bottom-up approach to it and uh, that helped us uh, significantly. I think uh, after a lot of the hype around the top-down approach, uh, our approach has uh, stood the test of time and uh, uh, our customers also respect us a lot for it because uh, when the hype was at its max, we were the only ones saying that no, we need to go bottom-up and we can't commit it top-down. Otherwise, enterprises will not be able to you know, actually come up with useful uh, solutions. So that has been the uh, thing. And uh, parallel work on horizon, uh, the third and fourth levels, that has been going on, um, which is still in its design and uh, testing stage uh, rather than deployment stage. Mm. You uh, then went ahead and uh, implemented your Agile 2020 plan. And then uh, when COVID happened, of course, no one could have anticipated it, but you had the underlying infrastructure and already the collaborative mindset and uh, methods and so on and processes uh, to build your uh, uh, secure borderless workspaces. Uh, as a result of all of these different things, in what critical ways would you say is TCS different today uh, compared with, I don't know, five years back? See, Agile is a major uh, major item. See, we actually came uh, and around that 2017 and 2018 time frame. Uh, we structured our uh, uh, thing into three areas. So uh, Agile, Automation, and Cloud. And in each of these areas, we were... So if you think back and uh, into the that time frame, uh, these are the three things that are supposed to disrupt the industry. And uh, in fact, uh, in some circles it was felt that uh, companies like ourselves will become irrelevant because these three trends will blow us away. And we took a very, very proactive approach to it. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to be on top of these three and we're going to integrate these into our uh, operating model rather than uh, get, uh, you know, uh, 
disrupted or disintermediated by these changes. So automation I spoke to you about, right? So which is it is automation all the way to cognitive and AI. Uh, incorporating that into service delivery, incorporating that and getting on top of it by thinking of it as a tool set rather than as a, a direct competitor and positioning ourselves above that. That was a big part of the approach to automation and MFDM captures it beautifully. Agile was the second one. So on Agile, uh, the prevalent thinking was that Agile means co-location of teams. Whereas uh, we took a very different approach to Agile. We said Agile is about the way uh, you do optimization, that our traditional optimization has been at a project level. So you conceive the project with a certain scope and you think of it as end-to-end scope and then you optimize for this full project. So maybe it's an 18-month project and you optimize it for that 18-month period. Whereas the shift that needs to happen is to optimize for business value. And when you optimize for business value, your business value is of the project, the business value appears in various smaller chunks. And uh, when you optimize at that level, you are actually doing it at a very different uh, uh, cadence. And uh, the way to think about it is like uh, containerization was to shipping. That uh, you originally used to optimize for bulk cargo, but then when you shift to container-based shipping, what you're doing is actually the entire hand- downstream handling of the container is standardized because you now you're you're going to get a 20 feet unit or a 40 feet unit with fixed uh, you know, hooks at its various points, you can entirely optimize what happens downstream. So the focus of optimization shifts. That, uh, that inside, allow, inside allowed us to realize that co-location is not a precondition. In fact, if co-location is a precondition, the benefit of Agile will be lost in the cost efficiency that will be lost due to co-location. So we came up with this thing called uh, location-independent agile. And uh, once again, we were the first in the uh, uh, industry to do it. And by pitching location-independent agile and backing it up with the thought leadership behind it, we came up with uh, what we call our three, four, five framework on uh, you know when. Uh, so which are the different models to use for co-location? Uh, what are the kind of work that lends itself to it? And what's the project management approaches to be able to uh, do it? And we spoke to clients and clients, it resonated very heavily with clients. Uh, This whole idea of uh, location-independent agile. And to prove that it can be done at scale, we committed that we are going to shift uh, there entirely to uh, 100% agile, the campaign was, by 2020. So in three years, we'll entirely shift our organization. And today we are at 85% plus, where we are incorporating agile principles into our service delivery and still managing to do it in a completely location-independent manner. It was very, uh, it was a big dramatic impact, uh, one on getting on top of this approach, uh, which resonates very strongly with clients. It has one other benefit, which is that our teams command a lot of respect with customers after they work with them for some time. So uh, one of our uh, challenges is that our teams are not the most um, articulate uh, in when it comes to communication and you know uh, discussions. Not the best in uh, 
communication even worse so when it comes to written communications and presentations but uh, after uh, they have interacted with the client for some time you know once the the rough edges of that and the client also starts looking beyond that actually our teams to develop very strong connects with the client so uh, you know the respect is very high because then the work content and the underlying uh, intellect comes through rather than the rough edges of the communication aspect what agile allowed us to do agile is a very high touch client interaction based one so by going significantly on agile and investing in uh, for example we were on you know significantly invested on video conferencing Uh, so that you would have a video channel open with the client uh, almost 24/7 for the project team so there will be one machine which is a you know a, a live channel and you can get together on a meeting at any point in time daily stand up calls quite a lot of ceremonies and routines you know bring people together on a much more higher frequency so the inherent uh, uh, you know problems that we had of the first startup point of communication got smoothened out and our teams were much more communicative with clients and clients were a lot more uh, you know appreciative of what was going on which is a huge thing for us because uh, it it also uh, brings us closer to business uh, earlier there were like you know translation errors at every point because what the business wants and what we do there is a time gap as well as multiple layers of communication information loss all of that was going away so we we were coming much closer to business in a much more high frequency way and business was starting to appreciate us and respect us a lot more and we were able to appreciate and understand the business a lot more so the you know the strategic benefit of it one is to make sure that it does not disrupt our delivery model and adjusting our delivery model for it but the strategic benefit of bringing us closer to business and getting that connect in a very strong way going uh, is uh, very uh, difficult to quantify but huge i would say that's our biggest benefit from uh, agile enterprise agile that we rolled out and we did it at a very very large scale uh, ngs himself uh, program managed it and uh, uh, did it at uh, this thing would you say uh, as a result uh, of all these different initiatives you have managed to uh close or uh, close the gap in terms of uh, how your clients perceive uh, uh tcs i mean you're obviously a very multinational company but uh, uh say in comparison with an ibm or an accenture where probably customers would look at them as uh, organizations that lead with advice on business and bring in technology versus an india based it outsourcing led company uh, would you say you've closed the perception gap today it's a work in progress um that's been the that's the whole thrust that we are trying to do so if you actually look at the content of the work that we do right it's there's lot more of business centricity and uh, business value in the content which doesn't nat- necessarily get articulated that way in the way because of the way we were contracted the way it was getting delivered with this increasing contact and with us also becoming a lot more uh, you know assertive about it uh we are closing the gap so the way we used to say it is that um it's also cultural and a lot of history and context to it the engineering mindset would typically uh, you know value the elegance of the solution right so when given a tough problem our guys will sit and solve it and then they'll go to the client and say 
you know, see how easy it is to solve. It can be done so simply. And that collapses the value of the dam solution because, uh, you know, you have laid it out saying that uh, whereas our people, you know, from the core, that's what the value. They were saying, you know, look at the elegance of the solution. It can be handled so easily. And then we were selling effort to do it done because we were costing it based on what is the effort to do. The shift that we need to do is that the value should be associated to the complexity of the problem, not the elegance of the solution. And, uh, you know, so that is the main shift that is uh, ongoing. That in our mind, first is a, what should I say, a value system shift. That uh, we, as I said, the engineering mind uh, looks for that, uh, uh, the peer recognition of the elegance of the solution and uh, trying to that. So we have been running this program called AAA. It's called uh, Awareness Articulation Amplification. And uh, it's about, you know, starting with uh, greater awareness of the value of what we have done, right? The uh, value of the solution that we delivered in being able to solve the complexity of the problem that they had, rather than the simplicity of the solution that was delivered. And this is a big shift because it has to first start uh, inside that we start appreciating the value of what we did. Then, uh, you know, we are about equipping our people to articulate it better because uh, our Shabd uh, Kosh, our, uh, our uh, dictionaries were all designed on the engineering side, were designed to articulate what the solution rather than the value of the solution. So going through that articulation training, that is a lot of work that uh, Rashri and her team actually are helping people out with as to how do you articulate the value of what you've done. And uh, the last leg of it is uh, that amplification. So we have always believed that let the work speak for itself. The problem of letting the work speak for itself is we'll move mountains and uh, leave bulk of the value behind. So the way we used to say is that if you do 100, uh, something worth 100, we will talk about it at 60. Somebody will do something worth 80 and they'll talk about it at 120. So this 60 to 120 is the value gap that we are uh, leaving on the table. So we don't necessarily want to go to 120, but moving that 60 closer to 100 is that amplification uh, journey. So fair amount of uh, you know internal uh, A that it is not a shift from who we are. It is just an evolution of capturing greater value for the work that we uh, deliver and uh, making sure that that gets appreciated first internally, then with the customers, then with the larger market. So, and the good thing is that uh, many of our customers actually are very supportive of us. You know, our best customers, their biggest crib has been that we can't be your sales guys. You guys need to sell and, uh, you know, you need to do a better job of positioning yourself. So, they're very supportive uh, and uh, it has been a, that's been a big thrust of what is going on for the last few years. With all the work that you are doing on the digital front and the work to change how your clients look at TCS, what is your thinking today in terms of the value that you can capture on a per-employee basis? Are you now well on the path of separating what you earn from the number of people that you need to recruit every year? Hari, actually, that's not the end goal because uh, I definitely want to have a better revenue productivity 
and if you look at our uh, journey while i'm uh, articulated it over the last few years but if you look at even over a 10 year period if you look at our uh, revenue productivity we have significantly increased revenue productivity our uh, revenue growth is uh, 30 to 40% higher than our uh, headcount growth so uh, re- you know continuously enhancing revenue productivity is a key part of our um, of our ongoing work right but this is not just about revenue productivity it is also about um, participating in segments where we are currently underrepresented i wouldn't say that we are not participating so as i said if you take 100% of the work that we do about anywhere in the range of 15 20% is work that is much more business centric than technology centric but because of all the complexities of what i told you that is not getting uh, showcased appropriately and because it is not getting showcased appropriately we are not participating in that work front in a larger setting so by moving down this path we will actually open up the adjacencies of a lot of this work that is going on so even a program if you are participating today at you know for uh, 20 to 30% of the wallet share of the total program value i definitely think that we can participate to 40 to 50% by uh, increasing a better understanding of the value that we deliver rather than restricting ourselves to uh, where we are uh, currently so you know the larger uh, what should i say the strategic agenda is to actually expand that the service portfolio or the addressable uh, part and uh, not by coming in at it from outside but uh, you know capturing adjacencies of what we currently do which we are leaving on the uh, table and in the process revenue productivity will automatically come so it's as much about uh, you know doing pushing that boundary of what is the segment that we are actually operating in mm. give us one example of a uh... Uh, an important contract where maybe tcs was uh, uh, not considered the top choice uh, not because you didn't have the capabilities but because of these perception issues so i again as i said uh, if you look at uh, uh, we spoke about gfc and how you know mnda used was a big driver of value and we were participating in uh, almost all the merger situations and uh, we were a you know big strategic partner to almost all the clients in their m&a activities but uh, we were not seen as participating in let's say the integration office that the client sets up in terms of designing what should be the uh, merger strategy even for systems and processes uh, i'm not talking about the merger strategy from a business strategy perspective but if the uh, certain synergy benefit was expected how should the systems and processes be set up to be able to capture it we were not participating in that we were participating in post that that in actually uh, executing that on the ground to do this work we are nowadays much more uh, aggressively participating in that dialogue as to what should be the right uh, approach to integration and what should be the you know the prioritization and what can be done so to the extent that there are now instances where we are the primary on what is called as the integration management office it is it has a much broader participation so earlier we were not even part of the integration management office we became systematically more present in all the integration management offices now there are instances where we are running the integration management office 
and other providers are also part of it, whether it be organizational change management or audit finance tax, etc. So uh, that's a classic one. Another uh, uh, more specific one is there is a pharma major uh, who decided to spin out uh, their consumer business and merge it with the consumer business of another uh, pharma major. And uh, the question was that should this car, when should this car work be done? And we were able to actually sit with the client and convince them that though the separation of the company uh, as a joint venture is going to happen, it happened three years back, but we will actually run that joint venture as a separate one inside the existing systems of one of the majors, one of the primary uh, parents. And it's only now that it is actually being separated into a different system. So while the legal separation happened upfront, we were able to run it uh, because we laid out to them as to why this would be a better approach than separating it out at the uh, beginning. Having that kind of a presence, having that kind of a dialogue is uh, new for us. Uh, we would be, as I said, typically executing on it rather than uh, participating in those kind of uh, uh, many such uh, one similarly in another uh, instance where uh, uh, there was uncertainty as to for regulatory compliance, uh, how the which parts of the business will have to be divested. And uh, we helped uh, design a solution by which the decision as to what specifically to divest can be pushed out closer to the deal. But we set up the environment so that it can be logically separated out uh, without a residual what's called as a TSA, uh, transition service agreement. So in this M&A chain, right, we used to, it was a big part of our value proposition earlier also. Today, we have a lot more participation across that spectrum of activity that is happening. And that's what we're trying to achieve in different areas, whether it's supply chain. Uh, Rashri herself used to be in uh, retail before taking on this role. Merchandising, uh, you know, areas like uh, even uh, planogram design, store layout, uh, planning um, uh, areas like uh, uh, you know integrating your loyalty with your cost systems and uh, what should be the approach to uh, loyalty solution being um, brought in. So we have been able to incrementally uh, slice out more and more part of this uh, value chain as we have expanded this part. Ari, if you let me, uh, just wanted to ask one question related to your question on perception. Right. I mean, uh, today TCS ranks right up there in terms of market capitalization with the best in the world, right, in, in what you guys do, right? But uh, do you think you enjoy that same recall as, say, an IBM or Accenture? Right? Accenture famously many years ago had that campaign with Tiger Woods. We can all argue about the merits of that. But do you think it, I mean, that that may have not touched everybody who, who thinks of uh, Accenture as the uh, as somebody who can give them solutions, right? It, it went into every household. But do you think something like that is probably necessary to take TCS truly on a global level and have it right up there? Absolutely. So if you look at go back to that AAA, uh, the third leg of it is amplification. And uh, if you don't tell your story, somebody else will tell it for you, or people will make their own assumptions of who you are. So we are much more um, out there telling our story. And this has been going on over time. Uh, if you look at the, over the last few years, and uh, if you see our brand value as uh, assessed by externally, uh, we are now number three uh, behind 
the two that you spoke about. But more importantly, we are the fastest growing brand uh, in that. So the relative change that we are making on that uh, metric uh, is far ahead of uh, everybody else. So we're still number three. Dashi still has to work a lot hard. But uh, we are, uh, you know, the momentum is uh, with us. And uh, we have been going about it very systematically. So uh, first was, you know, in the AAA itself, the first step is awareness, right? The internal brand building has to happen first because uh, end of the day, you can't put a brand out there if your people are not ready to uh, articulate it. So that awareness articulation amplification was designed to be a sequential one. We are now, over the course of the last couple of years, we moved into the amplification phase more. You would have noticed us hopefully uh, being more visible and uh, it will only keep on increasing. The no, new brand statement, uh, building on belief, uh, is the, you know an articulation of that aspiration and that journey. And it's something that we'll be building on. So that's from the branding perspective. It's also about uh, the way we reach out. So we run these, uh, you know, uh, annual customer summits where we get together uh, our key people, industry thought leaders, and our key customers. Uh, two years back, uh, 2018 or 19, I think in 18 itself, otherwise 19. I'm now missing out the dates. Um, we had. 22 CXOs on stage for us, right? Uh, typically, we used to have one or two who would come and make a keynote, but we had 22 client CXOs on stage uh, in that uh, event. Uh, these are, you know, as I said, so we've been going about it in a very systematic and broad-based way, making sure that, uh, you know, we change ourselves as an organization uh, to support it and the communication and the branding also. Yeah, so. We keep pace with where we are. Our favorite uh, comment internally used to be that uh, in many companies, the brand is far ahead of where the reality is. Our problem is that the reality is far ahead of where the brand is. So now the brand is doing a better job catching up with where the reality is. For you, uh, what is it that you now have to project uh, as the boss of TCS, as the head of TCS, to boost uh, this uh, image? And as you put it very well, for the brand to catch up with reality. Uh, it's not just about me, it's about the entire, not just the leadership team. Also. As I said, our approach to it is that, you know, every person inside TCS should start uh, believing in it and living in it. And uh, we have kind of gone about it in a very broad-based manner. But the important thing is to uh, make sure that we are systematically, uh, you know, putting ourselves out. Uh, looking out for opportunities, creating those opportunities for having those conversations. So uh, being very, uh, very systematic and structured about it. Uh, we look out for, you know, what's the frequency of interactions that we have? Uh, do we have the right forums where those interactions can happen? Uh, do we have the right collateral and the background information that is required to make those info discussions uh, meaningful? Uh, how do we come together as a team to you know support each other to be able to uh, do that so we've been going about it quite systematically it's also about uh, you know backing that belief with resources and key people so uh, moving rashi in before rashi there was a gentleman called ravi vishnathan who has been a very long standing uh, stalwart in tcs 
him taking on that role so that the strategic value of the role was very uh, visible to the organization and uh, as i said rashri herself uh, is uh, from our retail unit she used to be the cto there so you know so and she uh, built and uh, scaled a very important product there called pcs uh, uh, algo retail optimera and all uh, and was seen as a very uh, very key uh, business person so her taking on the role uh, that uh, validates inside the organization that this is a, a you know something that the organization is fully um, backing and making sure that those resources are available uh, the uh, process on uh, arriving at building on belief itself has been a Uh, we are a very democratic company so uh, this whole process has been done uh, you know taking the organization along at every step of the way it's almost uh, now uh, more than a year uh, we uh, brought in uh, very specialized external help but more importantly we ran the process internally we owned the process uh, you know reached out to people at all levels leadership mid level entry level juniors um evangelized it got feedback uh, going with it and then this is just the start of the branding uh, of building on belief as a campaign but before that also many multiple downstream positioning and branding activities have significantly uh, stepped up so that's on the communication side but making sure that uh, our uh, service portfolio is also seen and positioned along these lines and uh, segregating out uh, you know parts which is pure technology pure optimization versus innovation uh, transformation and uh, bringing envelopes around it that has also been a key part of what we are doing so a very full court press uh, across all parts of the organization to uh, achieve this uh, in, in terms of uh, getting the message across uh, the rank and file as well i mean we know of course uh, tcs uh, has a very efficient training engine that's uh, humming away uh, but surely there's also uh, a talent war coming how do you address this and as your digital technologies become more and more uh, important you probably fight for the same people that uh, your competitors in the it industry foreign companies more of them coming into india as well as indian startups with uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding all competing for the same talent how do you look at this short term we are uh, you know we stay tactically relevant as i said it's a war so uh, we're doing what it takes to make sure that we stay competitive in the market from a short term perspective but mid to long term uh, it is about the philosophy and uh, making sure that our people understand it and uh, we are quite comfortable with the overall uh, path that we have see the approach that we have always done is that we have been very transparent and uh, very true to who we are so we recruit the people and uh, the what we value and how we approach is it's a straight line from who we recruit to who runs the company strategically we have ensured that that is uh, that transparency and that uh, integrity is maintained so uh, we don't uh, talk something different and recruit somebody different uh, we are very transparent on who we are i think the analogy that we use internally and uh, that has been uh, quite well understood and popular internally is that we say career in tcs is like a mutual fund investment um, you might be uh, there might be opportunities to trade and make money on the wider market 
and there will be some people who will get rich very quickly but uh, there will be a set of uh, you know a wide set of people for whom the steady compounding of a fund uh, will yield better results and that's what a career in tcs is about so as i said tactically we will do some stuff but uh, our dna and our philosophy uh, is not going to change significantly and uh, everything that we have done uh, when digital was being spoken about there was this large scale assumption that digital means you got to recruit from outside is that no we're going to train our own people 95 98% of our digital needs were met by internally trained resources the point is not that we were able to manage it internally the point is that as a company we believe that our people should get the first right of refusal for every new thing that happens inside the company whether it be at a leadership level or whether it be at the junior most level so because they have trusted the company and they have, anybody joining the company if they want to have a 40 year career you know they they are going to be four eight changes in technology and uh, they need to be able to trust the company that the company will make sure that they are going to be invested in trained and so that they will make that jump every time so uh, staying true to that that integrity of that approach is critical short term Uh, we need to do what it takes but uh, long term uh, talent respects it and our clients also respect it so uh, it is uh, i'm not too uh, overtly worried about uh, the current one as it's like the trading thing some people will make get rich uh, many others will uh, end up spoiling good careers and uh, that uh, feedback will come through so this uh, uh, will reduce uh, after a few months and a few quarters uh, i understand that uh, you you are building something called a talent cloud and you know, and perhaps you've also not talked about this much yet uh, can you tell us what you can about the talent cloud you know the philosophy is similar to a cloud um, which is that uh, you know you can uh, it is better for the customer it is better for the provider uh, if we remove work association to individual work center so if you think about the cloud uh, earlier a given program will run on a given server and where whether the server sat in mumbai or bangalore uh, would be a, a defining factor as to where the work will go what we are doing in cloud is to make that capacity available in a seamless way and that is net net beneficial to both who consumes it and the one who provides it our approach is to move our talent to that point that uh, we will get the work done for the customer without it being directly linked to individual people or talents so that's the underlying uh, philosophy but it's a far uh, thing we are taking it systematically now one of the things uh, maybe when anjay spoke about agile he might have spoken about what we call open agile collaborative workspaces that came before this whole sws and 2525 saying uh, you know we should be able to collocate different people working and we change our security approach that security does not require physical segregation of people we should be able to have people uh, work uh, in virtual teams and we were experimenting with that long before covid came uh, and this whole approach to that so that uh, our physical locations we can go and try to uh, virtualize them uh, similarly on our talent acquisition side also uh, we move to larger platform based hiring Uh, we ran what's called, we run what's called the TCS NQT, which is about democratizing the whole opportunity 
and uh, taking so we were earlier going to individual campuses and hiring from campus a campus b campus c uh, rather than that now we run national level entrance exams and that allows us to tap into a much wider we were going into a few 300 400 colleges uh, we now get uh, applicants from more than 1800 colleges in india so you know making sure that you take a platform approach so that you can broad base the entire thing and more importantly we get all uh, so 200 uh, 40 or 1000 people appeared for the last uh, one and we have the 240 000 on a standardized set so we know their uh, capabilities on a common set of parameters and uh, while we recruited about 40 000 we also maintain as to who are the ones who are near misses and we go back to them giving them feedback saying these are the areas where you didn't do well if you're still interested in working for tcs we are interested in you so fix this and come back because what's important for us is not whether the person knew it on that day if the person is ready to invest time and uh, effort to master it we are still as interested in them 6 months later or one year later so by you know going to this kind of a virtualized mode where you remove time and place from the equation and uh, you maintain a persistent connect uh, that's the so the philosophy is similar to the physical cloud the compute cloud but the approach to it is to try and uh, convert ourselves into the overall ecosystem that provides talent rather than providing of individual talent we are getting massive input from northeast and right so uh, earlier we would choose the college and try to recruit there now how does it matter even if you end up recruiting only five, you know 1% 2% from that college uh, as long as we get the people that we want uh, we have uh, virtualized it mm. if you can you tie all these things uh, together to throw the story forward uh, and you have been talking about uh, growth and transformation uh, deals uh, so also in that context uh, five years from now uh, when many of these efforts will have matured and uh, had their uh, impact on tcs uh, what does tcs uh, look to you like uh, give us a flavor of the kind of work that you will be able to do that you are not doing today that's a difficult one to paint but it will be uh, even more heterogeneous than what we are today so this growth and transformation that you spoke about right so we are thinking about it across four aspects um, how we position ourselves to capture that work uh, how we contract for that work how we deliver this work and how do we get rewarded and recognized for the work because uh, uh, you know today we do this work but we didn't sell it as that upfront right uh, we didn't contract for it that way because we contracted for it for the effort rather than for the outcome uh, we didn't deliver it because we were delivering it using our old methodologies and then are we getting acknowledged and are we getting rewarded for it so if you are successful we will be successful across all four parts of it today as i said uh, from a work content perspective about 20% of the work is of this nature but if i put all four parameters to it less than 5% of the work is of this nature 5 years is uh, yeah, but 5 to 10 years later let's say you go forward to 2030 i would expect us to be evenly balanced between cost and optimization and uh, growth and transformation that there is work that we do which is primarily on the efficiency and optimization side and there is work that we do which is on the growth and transformation side 
and our entire approach to these two works across the full four dimensions that I told you will be different and will be seen to be different from the uh, from both our clients and the ecosystem that we work in. So uh, that would be a great success uh, if we are able to uh, rebalance the company along these two engines and truly as you know distinct engines but working together uh, for the common uh, so that would be the aspiration uh, in fact that is the aspiration to which we are working on we had a few questions uh, more specific to you uh, i think in, in in the earlier media interaction uh, i i forget the exact context but you talked about uh, growing up in a railway colony uh, because i think your dad worked uh, in a railway organization uh, what was what was uh, what is your uh, uh, best memory from that time best memory <laughs> so see it's also about uh, that was a uh, while it was a railway colony it's also the uh, it was a research wing of uh, railways called rdso yeah. uh, research design and standard organization up in lucknow so uh, it was a fairly self contained ecosystem uh, which uh, was focused on innovation but very pragmatic and uh, very aware of the system in which they operated right so you know they knew that uh, their degrees of freedom were limited but they also had uh, significantly more degrees of freedom compared to the rest of the organization and uh, playing that role and uh, i had the good fortune of uh, knowing many of the people and uh, at that time i didn't appreciate now i see it in hindsight that uh, the kind of work environment that they maintained and uh, the impact that they were able to make in a fairly large uh, organization which from outside looks uh, very uh, difficult to change but how they were able to continuously change from inside so that's been a i keep referring to that quite uh, a lot internally that uh, you need to keep making incremental changes uh, it is not about what dramatic change that you make how do you keep on and for that you need to have a good understanding of uh, the organization uh, both where the challenges are where the opportunities are and where the change needs to be and uh, also the patience to get it done so uh, it will take time and you got to you know stay with it and have a clear uh, that's been a big one i keep uh, and a favorite analogy i use internally is that thesis on surface where uh, few other uh, enterprises have operated especially for the kind of people that we have there aren't too many companies in the world that have 400 500000 engineering talent uh, with them and management is an empirical science so bulk of Uh, the theory that exists out there has not been created for this context uh, it's better to think about larger ecosystems like railways uh, armed forces political parties you know which operate with a different cadence operate in a different way but that's the organization that we should compare ourselves to rather than typical uh, enterprises and uh, that's an analogy that we use quite a lot internally Uh, to be able to make sure that we are not blown away by some of the clichés that go away, go around uh, because you know uh, we are of that size uh, we are not a typical enterprise uh, on which most of theory has been written from a ob or an hr perspective 
Do, do you recall when you were uh, very young, maybe in school, uh, what you wanted to be? What did you think you wanted to be? <laughs> As I said, it was a very pragmatic place. So I wanted to be an engineer, get a job and make sure that you know, I get somewhere. So that's another thing that railway colony is teaching. Right? You, it puts a very time box thing on you and you see kids go through it. It's a... Not a very, I was not a very romantic guy. It was very straightforward that I wanted a job. So first is get into an engineering college, get a job. Then MBA came about and then one step led to the other. Okay, one last quick question. Uh, uh, when your children were really young, uh, were there instances when you advised them on uh, how to approach technology, whether it, it was in terms of the amount of time spent on gadgets or TV or uh, maybe more later on, in terms of uh, things like uh, importance of coding and or relevance of coding, what advice did you give them? Okay, this one is uh, slightly counterintuitive. My daughter is very creative. So, in fact, and my wife, uh, she herself is uh, architect by training and uh, also very creative. And uh, I, I always encourage that. And to some extent, uh, I actually didn't or rather kept her away from tech for some period of time. Because uh, I wanted to make sure that, you know, that grows in her. Because I believe that as we look forward, right, uh, creativity and innovation uh, will be the skill that will be even more important than the technology. Technology will become easier and easier to use uh, as we go along. So other than the narrow set of people who build the technology, bulk of the, uh, for consumption of technology, the underlying need for what you're going to use it is going to be more important than the tech itself. And uh, that is, uh, you know, so our generation grew being able to manage that technology because that's where the opportunity is. As you look forward, the opportunity is going to be more on the creative and the innovative uh, side. So I didn't really push her into tech and she herself never took it up on her own, uh, this thing. So she's much more into the uh, creative side, though with the uh, science and engineering mindset. So she wants to pursue engineering, but not necessarily tech. She's more on the sciences side uh, than on the uh, technology side. My son is quite young right now. Uh, he's only in class four, so he's figuring it out. But I try to stay away. Don't want to push them in here or there. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, Rajesh. Thanks, Rajesh. It's been, a, I would say, one of the most enjoyable and most articulate interviews we've heard in the recent times and it's really been enjoyable listening to you and there's a lot of insight in what you said in the last one hour and I think it's going to be put to good use in our story. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. That was Rajesh Gopinathan. That's it for this conversation. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.